Welcome to Peeps' Gabfest, a chapter-by-chapter, page-to-screen analysis of the Harry Potter series. I'm Sarah Day. I'm James. And I'm Meeks. Today, we are gabbing about Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, Chapter 2, Dobby's Warning. This is about three minutes to nine minutes of the film. Before we start the Gabfest, a quick spoiler warning. We will be using our vast knowledge of the wizarding world to compare the page to the screen, and we may gab about moments that happen later in the books or the films. So, you've been warned, Dicklefirsties. But first, a message from the Daily Prophet. No one wants to wait hours for a potion to brew. Ditch the cauldron and order a Blendjet 2 portable blender today. Sure to get you invited to Slughorn's parties, the Blendjet 2 makes blending so easy and convenient. Blendjet 2 is portable, so you can blend up your potions even while riding a broomstick. It's small enough to fit in your cloak, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like frozen fruit and lacewing flies with ease. Blendjet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning potion without waking up the whole common room. Lasts for 15 plus blends and recharges quickly via USB-C. That, that's a muggle contraption. Best of all, Blendjet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. I really want to get the black one and add the Hufflepuff logo. Yes. Yeah. And I want a blue one so that it'll match, well, Ravenclaw, but also my kitchen counters. that's like super important it's gotta match the kitchen counters it's nice and convenient if that can happen black goes with anything so i think i'm good yeah it's true well what are you waiting for go to blendjet.com and grab yours today and be sure to use the promo code gabfest12 to get 12 percent off your order and two free day shipping No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the Blendjet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the Blendjet 2 portable blender. Go to Blendjet.com and use the code GABFEST12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Welcome back, listeners. Uh, You may know this. I'm pretty sure you both know this, but my favorite character of this series is Dobby. And we are finally introduced to him. Yay. Yeah, I know. It's an exciting chapter. I do want to make a callback because I remembered this. We, We talked about this, but you had like we were talking about Dobby at one point in book one. And you were like, there has to be a picture. Maybe it was like the fan cast episode or something. But um, we, you had talked about it and was like, there has to be a picture. And you couldn't find the picture. But lo and behold, Dobby's warning, there is a picture of Dobby right there in the book at the chapter <sighs> heading. So uh, in you know the classic Harry Potter book, you know the one with the red phoenix on it and stuff, chapter two yes. has Dobby bowing to harry in in the top of the chapter heading so that was how oh my gosh i'm not 
I haven't gotten to chapter two yet, but I'm looking at chapter one because as listeners, um, if you remember, I do the audiobook. Um so I'm looking at the book and chapter one is Dobby's eyes in the bush, which we talked about last episode being cut. Wow, he looks very feminine in this picture. <laughs> so I, I remembered that and I was like, oh, look, look, Sarah Day would like that, definitely. So I totally brought that back. Yeah, I mean, I could have sworn there was a picture of Dobby. Um, I think they did a really good job of taking this artwork and making it live action if you will i mean cgi but live action yes definitely yeah i mean I, when i first saw dobby i was like yeah that's exactly what i would have expected i mean i think 100 yeah so you're welcome two points for me right <laughs> yes 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 okay fine <laughs> points points for ravenclaw oh starting off right away oh yeah there we go Migs, this this book, are you going to represent Gryffindor or Slytherin? Or are you guys going to double up on the Ravenclaw? How dare you? I'll take it. That I yeah. am representing Slytherin. <laughs> <laughs> I'll represent Gryffindor. Migs will forever have this beef with Slytherin. Goodness. Yeah, it's just like oh. a bit now. You can't stop it. That's why you have to be a Gryffindor because you have this internal yeah, competition with don't even exist except for Sharon <laughs> yes thank you for recognizing Sharon who wrote I, in in our Facebook group Sharon's I believe right good. yep listeners Sharon has has shown up as our, our official Slytherin that Meigs officially like recognizes yeah. every other Slytherin apparently <laughs> the one Slytherin. <laughs> I, I am knighting Sharon it's my official recognition of Sharon's <laughs> existence as a Slytherin <laughs> So uh, Harry comes up to his bedroom and finds Dobby in his room and ever so politely says, oh, this is really not a good time for me to have a magical creature in my room. <laughs> However, Dobby has other plans. Dobby what and were your thoughts plan. on? Yeah. What were your thoughts on Dobby's portrayal and how this went from the page to the screen? So there were definitely some lines cut for sure. I I recognize that way off the bat. Like they shortened the conversation between Dobby and Harry quite a bit. But overall, like what they did leave um, kind of give the gives the idea of a, a, a cross of why Dobby's there, and I think that's really, really well done. Um, Toby Jones is the voice of Dobby, uh, and I love that man. He's a great actor. He's a uh, really enjoyable and all that. Um, but overall, I think he, I don't, I don't see, like, we, we talk about, like, what we can see with, from the new TV show and all that, and I really have a struggling time trying to find a different, like, a different person to do Dobby's voice. Like, I, up until I hear it, I'm not going to be able to, like, imagine anybody else doing Dobby's voice, because this is, this is Dobby, and Dobby is forever imprinted in my mind with that voice. Every time I read it, I'm reading it in Toby Jones's portrayals. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, I don't think anybody's ever going to come close. It's going to be a struggle for whoever they get to voice Dobby for the series. 
uh, it's going to be very difficult for them to be able to, 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 to have somebody fill those shoes and make it unique and make it, uh, make it that, that well, that's how well done the character was for me. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it's, um, it's really hard to imagine Dobby looking or sounding any different than in the films because he was so spot on with what I had imagined him in the books. And so, uh, or how I had imagined him when I was reading the book. So yeah, I, I agree. It's going to be really, it's going to be weird to see Dobby be portrayed differently. So yeah. I, I, I've, I've said time and time again that I, I'm not tied to the movie portrayals, but Dobby, I agree is one that's going to be really hard for me to move um, because I, love the movie portrayal of him so much and if i'm not mistaken i listened to the jim dale versions and they're pretty close uh toby jones and jim dale's portrayal of dobby's voice and so that is what i'm used to his appearance is what i'm used to because they got the design of dobby spot on from what i envisioned the house elf to be um so it's gonna be hard for me to see how they recreate dobby because I don't think we want it to be the same, you know, we, we do want some differences between the show and the films, but that might be a hard pill for me to swallow when it comes. It's definitely going to be a hard Luckily, pill for everybody to swallow. I mean, there's probably a potion to make pills easier to swallow. Oh, well, thanks for that clarity, Meeks. <laughs> <laughs> guess i don't have anything to contribute right now other than that amazing quip i'm <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding i thought that it was um i thought that overall it was a a really good adaptation like this is one of the the few times where i actually feel like the chapter adaptation is really good not that it mm-hmm. was like you know it's never going to be a hundred percent exactly perfect but they did a really really good job of this one and they stuck really close to what was in the book Um, so I think that they're probably going to do the same thing for the TV show. And as far as like keeping it really close, and I think that they're going to do a good job with it. Um, Dobby's CGI looked fantastic in the film and that was a long time ago. So it's going to be even better, obviously now, um, in the show. So I think, I don't know, it just, it was good. And I can't wait to see what they do for the show. Like, that's really all I can say. Mm-hmm. And I know that you said, James, lots of lines were cut and some dialogue was cut, but I think they did, like you said, he's a really great job of getting those important points across. He comes from a family that doesn't treat him well. He describes what house elves are like, that they, they're, you know, slaves, basically. They can only be freed um, and that bad things are coming if he goes to school and he begs him not to go to school. Um, and that kind of sets the tone, uh, A, for house elves and B, for what's to come, this book. Yeah, definitely. Now, and let the record show that I did, like, I did say that, but I also said that I, I think that, that they do it really well. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, something I want to expand on a little bit, I really enjoyed the movie going back to the Dursleys downstairs and listening to what's happening upstairs. 
Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, that's just the cat. Like that's that doesn't happen in the book. We just see the perspective between Harry because it's Harry's story. Yeah. Right. But like the movie did a really good job of creating what's going on downstairs and being like, what the heck is happening upstairs? Like just hearing that banging type thing, because that's what Harry's worried about is Dobby making a lot of noise to ruin what's going on downstairs because he has to pretend not to exist. And this is not helping. Uh, so mm-hmm. as you know, I really want the, the TV show to expand on that a little bit. I really love what the movie did. I think that was a great addition. That was a great decision on everybody's part. I want that to be 10 times, uh, 10 times more in mm-hmm. the movie. I want to, I want to see Dobby hitting himself on the window or the wall or making those high pitched noises and the dirt going back to the Dursleys and like twitching their eyes and being like, that's the cat or coming up with another random story. Of, like, Oh, Dudley must've left the TV on little Tyke and like going back up there and like checking on him and stuff like that. I want, I want the, nervousness to show in their eyes to kind of like say like to show like this important thing is now being taken away slowly because we're back in the magical world of harry potter and magic is interfering with the normal muggle world and the the dursleys aren't liking it so i really like i would really like to see that go into more depth of that um we've talked a lot about um in the the past book how the books are from Harry's perspective, but we want to see that world building and we want to see, you know, the professors at Hogwarts doing stuff and all of that kind of stuff. So this is a great example, as small as it is, of that working. I do um, I, I do think it's interesting, the, the dinner adaptation, the dinner scene, I thought was a lot calmer in the film compared to the book. And usually it's the other way around. Um, Usually the book is like, you know, the book is what it is. And then the movie, they always want to make it like more dramatic. dramatic. But I feel like the, the movie version felt really flat compared to the, the book was like crazy and chaotic and Mm -hmm. there was a lot more happening. (laughs) I think taking the two chapters and smushing them so, so, so close together in the film and um, had a lot to do with that. Like they cut a lot of the stuff, which takes away that. Usually we're saying the the movie falls flat. I think this is a great example. Like the book was being more dramatic and the movie falls flat again in a different way than we usually talk about. So it'll be interesting to see how the show combines. I mean, I think we all think this, these first two chapters will be a good first episode to see how the, how that plays out on the screen yeah it would be really nice if they made one episode these two chapters because they could really flesh out a lot of it well and they do really flow well together yeah no well yeah they really flow well together i couldn't stop myself from reading the second chapter even if i tried uh but like to expand on that a little bit more like the first episode really has a great opportunity of expanding upon what the first book did because the first book's chap, like chapter one, really did a good job of having the Dursley, Mister Dursley, go through his life and having the every, the day to day go through, and then just throw a little tidbit of magic in. This random thing is happening. What's going on? 
what's what is this and then boom fallout magic and i really feel like the this could be a mirror uh to the beginning of season season one and and to the beginning of the book like it's, these two chapters do a really good job of mirroring that because chapter one is just it's all boring it's all flat it's the muggle world but there's an inkling of magic inkling of magic eyeballs sticking out of a bush like mm-hmm. you get this you get this feeling that thing something isn't right and something isn't normal and then the appearance of Dobby in Harry's bedroom breaks and shatters that reality and we're back into the magical world just like how Dumbledore showing up breaks and shatters it'll I think well to be honest McGonagall turning from the cat to a person is what shatters the reality because now we've just introduced the audience to this magical world that doesn't make any sense to them but it it has the ability to mirror that and i think that's gonna be awesome when you when you take that in in a show format and you take that and kind of repeat what the first show did and have that consistency again that's what i like right but Mm -hmm. to have that consistency continue from the the first season or the first book into the second book like that second book does it really well this time it's two chapters instead of one but jk rowling does a really good job of having the muggle world contrast versus the wizarding world contrasts and and when we travel through the muggle world to the wizarding world it's very abrupt and it throws the reader off for sure because it's a brand new thing that just happens and i want that feeling to happen in the show for sure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so any other thoughts on dobby's introduction in harry's bedroom before we get into the disaster that's about to occur can i just say how <laughs> mischievous dobby is like <laughs> Did did he not think that Harry was going to figure out the fact that he's been holding his letters? Like, why did you say that, Dobby? Like, <laughs> Dobby's just over here being all coy, like, friends that don't even write to Harry Potter. Like, in the movie, he does it, like, they do a really good job of portraying, like, the snidiness exactly. of, mm-hmm. of what Dobby's trying to say. Like, in the book, you, you get it. But in the movie, it did, like, it doubles down on that. And he's like, I got you now, Harry. Like, friends that don't even write to you and like harry like automatically is just like what are you talking about how do you know that like dobby's just ruined his entire this entire plan that he had that was weird to say the least like why would you even do that but well and in the movie they also do a really good job of him realizing dobby realizing that he just messed up and gave that away which i think is just just this Dobby, you snide dog. Like, come on. (laughs) You you had him in the palm of your hands. You probably shouldn't have revealed that piece of information. And it just shows how important this is to him. How important saving Harry is to Dobby. Because he's heard of this amazing figure. And he knows. he, He hasn't given it away. But spoiler alert. He knows that his family is trying to destroy Harry and Hogwarts and cause mm-hmm. this whole thing. And he's like, I have got to warn this person. I don't know. I've never met, but I've got to go warn him. And then the very first thing Harry does is say, please have a seat. And he's very kind to Dobby, which Harry is just a kind person. And he's like, oh, 
you know, I've heard of your greatness, but to see it and to offer me a seat, you know, and so he is kind of um, not, not rewarded for this, but he it reiterates to him that he's doing Dobby is doing the right thing by trying yeah. to get Harry to stay home. It, the, I think the direct quote is, I've heard of your greatness, but not of your goodness. Oh, I love Dobby so much. I know. <laughs> so I think, I think that that was a really well done piece of work for the CGI artist to do to portray that emotion of being like, ah, I gotcha. Yeah. Crap. <laughs> I just messed up. <laughs> no, it wasn't yeah, what I meant mm-hmm. to say. <laughs> yeah, the CGI artist, well, probably multiple artists did a very good job on that. There's something else that he does that I want to give credit to the CGI artist because his little sleeve falls off and he pulls it up in the middle of a sentence that he's saying. And I'm like, that little detail just makes it so realistic. Absolutely. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yep. I always thought that too. So we move downstairs <laughs> and he's still trying to convince Harry not to go to Hogwarts. And part of me is like, Harry, why don't you just agree with him and not like say you're not going to go when you see what he's about to do. But right. he sticks to his guns and he says, I I can't. I have to go back to Hogwarts. Hogwarts is my home. And so Dobby ruins the pudding. <laughs> The pudding, not the pudding. <laughs> what did you think of Petunia's pudding? Uh, I think I always thought of it as a cake, not a pudding. <laughs> but that's just how much I know about British culture. Uh, our American brains. Yeah, I know. Right, so but if we have any British listeners, pudding over here is like a chocolate custard, or it, it has different flavors, but. The, the most popular is like a chocolate custard and it's pudding. Um, but over there, pudding is just like a dessert. Yeah. A, a, a blanket term for desserts. Um, but I agree. I always thought of it. I actually always kind of pictured a trifle. Mm-hmm. Mm, interesting. Actually, I think yeah. that I did too. I'm trying to remember. I, do, I did not. I don't know. I'm trying to remember what I first thought of when I like first, first read it. Because I was, um, yeah, I don't know. When I saw it in the movie, I feel like it was different than what I thought. But mm. I was like, I don't really know exactly what I expected. So, I don't know. I don't know why I even said any of this. Because I just talked in a circle and didn't have anything <laughs> <laughs> uh, But uh, going back to the screen here. Um, like, Petunia did that herself. The cherries and the ribbon, the icing ribbons, and that green color. <laughs> I would love to that see that was delicious. Petunia making the pudding, like to like like baking it. it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would eat that in real life. Yeah, if somebody put that in front of yeah. me, I would eat. Or that. if there was a little spinoff, like five minute thing, <laughs> our first spinoff <laughs> of Petunia doing like a baking show, and she's talking about what she's baking for this evening i think that would be pretty mm-hmm. funny that's funny that's cute. <laughs> that, like that the great be. british baking show petunia yes. yes exactly petunia's edition petunia's british baking show i don't know something like that we can fine-tune it later 
So, what do you think of the lady just sitting there after the cake fell on her? I did not like this adaptation at all. I thought it was <laughs> unrealistic. No, okay. I think the most realistic part of this was the house elf snapping and making the pudding fly in the air. I think that the reactions and everything, like the way that it was all acted, <laughs> was not realistic. And the most realistic part was Dobby. Um, no, I did not like that. Um, although I guess I am trying to put myself in that woman's position. Just like, just like, how did nobody see what was going on? And well, they did the 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 Dursleys yeah. did, but they didn't. They were just like in sh- shock. I don't know, but she didn't move. And I'm like, if I got a face full of cake, I probably would have like stood up and been like, <laughs> "What just happened?" Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would have at least shown some astonishment. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. I am not not a fan of how this part of the adaptation went. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that definitely is a good point. I didn't even think about that, really. But that's because dun, 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 we have a deleted scene. Oh, our first deleted scene. What an exciting episode this is. I know. So, listeners, uh, as you know, I'm the deleted scene guy. So as I've discovered, there's extra scenes and all that stuff. Chamber of Secrets was one of the ones that got an extended edition. And they added 19 additional scenes, uh, whether it be completely cut scenes or extensions of what was left in the mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but 19, which is the most deleted scenes ever um, mm-hmm. from this point forward. So, like, this movie has the most. So, we're going to have um, a lot Do you know about. how much time that amounts to? Um, so. The original theatrical release was um, 161 minutes, and the additional time was 171 minutes. So 10, 10 more minutes? Yeah. Or it was 174. Sorry. So 13. So 15. Okay. Okay. So not a lot, but a lot. <laughs> Um, enough to kind of like give you different perspectives of what's happening and stuff like that. So first and foremost, in this deleted scene is an extension. So we are back to Dobby, uh, Dobby floating the cake. So he floats the cake. The cake is floating there. Harry's trying to go in and grab it. The extension starts with Petunia going in and saying, Oh, Mr. Mason, Mr. Vernon or Vernon tells me that you are such a wonderful golfer. And he, Mr. Mason replies, I just golf occasionally. I play occasionally uh, like all nonchalant, but that's when Petunia notices the pudding and she's like freaking out. And she like, it shows her like, like twitching her eyes from the Masons to the pudding. Like she's like, she's like, I don't know how to react in this situation. I don't know what's going on, but she sees a floating pudding and, but she's trying to keep calm and pristine in front of the Masons and not like react in like an extremely absurd way. So she continues her compliment, like how they rehearsed in the book and says, why Mrs. Mason, I love your suits. Where did you get them? And Mrs. Mason replies, Oh, all of my suits are tailor made. 
like very snobbishly like may i add like goodness gracious i'm glad the pudding did land on her to be honest because <laughs> <laughs> her, her the way she talked was like wow you are rich aren't you um uh, and then she does that and then uncle vernon's like going like ah oh, this is going off smoothly and then notices the pudding too and he's like Dudley, isn't there something you want to say? Like, he doesn't know how to react in the situation either. And then Dudley looks up and he, Dudley's not paying attention, but Dudley looks up and then sees the pudding. He's like, Pudding. (laughs) That's when Dobby snaps and the pudding drops on her. (laughs) It it was just hilarious. I was just like that. Why was that taken out? I can't believe yeah. it. Yeah, they it adds a little bit more that. dynamic to it, and I just that's why I kind of like enjoyed it a little bit because it kind of shows them freaking out inside because you know they want to stop it, but they don't want to bring atten- attention to themselves, so they don't know how to stop it. So, but all they see is Harry floating it. They don't even see like Dobby or anything. Like they just see a floating pudding right. and Harry's hands behind it. So they're thinking Harry's floating the pudding. So mm-hmm. they're just trying to find a way to make this work, but they can't, but it's freaking out. Like they're freaking out because it's getting closer and like I get how they feel because they're put in the situation where it was going so smoothly in their minds, but then all of a sudden it just blows up in their faces. But Dudley's reaction was the best. <laughs> that does sound really funny. I'd like to yeah, go see that nice. scene. So they, you know, think they could still recover this situation. Mm-hmm. However, because magic was used in the house, an owl delivers a letter uh, reprimanding Harry on using magic and explains that if he does it again, he'll be expelled, which this is news to Vernon. And this was all cut, of course, um, from the film, unless there's a deleted scene we don't need to know about. Nope. nope. Okay. So cut from the film, um, which I, I mean, I'm very disappointed in because it's like a huge revelation for the Dursleys to know that he can't even use magic. Well, it all goes back to that consistency, right? So because there wasn't that consistency of Harry toying with him, of of saying, like, I can mute magic and you don't know that, like, I can't, there was no need for this letter to show up in order to explain that Harry was in trouble because of it. So that's why I really like the idea of that consistency showing up because then that scene makes sense and we get to see vernon react to that and have like you've been lying to us this entire time i bet you've been having a laugh behind your backs like you're going to totally regret this so it just comes back down to that consistency having that consistency if you're going to set it up in in one thing you better follow through with it in the other right there's two thoughts i have on that um the first is the whole consistency thing and we've talked about this again how the books and the films still weren't lined up. So they didn't know what was coming and they didn't know how important not being able to use magic will be later on. But more importantly, I feel like this moment is what angers Vernon more 
than ruining the dinner because Harry lied to him all summer and tricked him all summer. So not only did he ruin the most important dinner, but he also feels like a fool and, 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 you know, lied to. And he's like, how did this boy pull one over on me all summer? In addition to ruining this dinner and I feel that's why the the bars on the window is very brief and it doesn't give credence to how angry Vernon was um yep. after yep. after all this happened and all this punishment coming from like he's locked in his room he's got bars on his window he's only there's only a little slot to serve the food um and he's only allowed to go to the bathroom twice a day. Ugh. It's terrible. It's worse yeah. than prison. And um, so I, I I hate that this little – because, yes, ruining the dinner is bad. Um, but I just feel like that moment of Vernon realizing he's been tricked by this boy is what really sets him over the edge. Yeah. It, that's probably what – what put it all over was him realizing that magic cannot be used outside of school. <laughs> um, Saturday, I think that's a really good point about Vernon being upset about um, Harry tricking him or fooling him. And I think that's not something that I would have, I didn't realize that when I was first reading these books, but now like reading them, um, as an adult, definitely, I think it's mm-hmm. more of his pride and just being upset about yes. how the situation was handled. Yeah, the pride. That's there you it. go. The yeah. Pride. Yeah, because you can tell while reading, like as he's te- like talking to Harry, like you could tell he's still angry, but it's not like he's yelling at him. He's he's angry because he's found a way uh, a way to justify what he's about to do to Harry. Like he, mm. he he now knows that he can use this against him because Harry can't do magic outside of school. So now that he's locking him up, he can't get out. No, you're not going to go back to that school ever again. Like I found something that I can lord over you now. I'm going to yeah. use it because you just did all of this stuff to me. And so, well, and forever that was that was what the Dursleys had, especially Vernon, um, was they were able to hold stuff over Harry's head and they were able to have that control over him. And this is probably the first time in their, well, in Harry's life with the Dursleys, I guess, where Vernon felt like he didn't have control over the situation and that was freaking him out. And so now he's like angry that he was fooled, but it's going to, of course, turn into something that you know, is very good for him because he's able to have that control back. Yep. And I think that's, that's a great point to why the punishment is so over the top because that control is back. So he is kind of putting, reminding Harry that he is the authority in this house and he, has the ability like you better behave or this is going to be your life for the rest of your life i he was definitely ready to not have harry go back to school that's for sure because he knows that if harry tries to use magic he's expelled that letter gave him all the knowledge he needed to be like 
you use magic one more time, even to try and get out of this house, you're done. You can't go back to that school. So I'm going to prevent you from going back to that school. So it, it, it was just, it was just what he needed to, to feed his anger off of the entire situation of what was going on because, you know, it was important to him. He, he, he lost out on something big that would have apparently bought him a house in Majorca. (laughs) Yeah. Um, um, I think you nailed th- or hit the nail on the head, James, when you what you just said, because when he's reading the letter, he hands it to Harry and he's chuckling, isn't he? Yeah, because he's like, oh, yeah, like the cards are in my hand again. It's yeah. a different type of anger. It's it's he's not yelling at him like you would have expected him to do because he ruined this thing. He he found out information that now puts it back into his ball field. Of he's, got he's got the upper hand. He's got the upper hand. So now, now his anger is 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 basically joyful contempt. Yes, like he, he's he's now ready. He can to punish him in better in in, in more long term other ways because he doesn't have that fear yep. anymore. Exactly, mm. he doesn't feel yeah, like see, Harry we need is that. We need to do that in the show. Yeah, definitely. He's not afraid anymore that Harry's going to react and do magic on him. He's he knows that he can't do it, so he's going to go back to how he was, and it's it's vicious this time. So we feel bad for him, <laughs> and Harry's also feeling bad for himself because he dreams about being caged in a zoo because he's caged in his own home. Yeah, yep. It's so sad. It's just like, again, like, like we talked about for chapter one, how it's so dark. Like that is insane what they did to Harry. And yeah, that's just like what his life is. And it's written in (laughs) such a way where it doesn't feel like, like that, like Harry should call the police on whoever the British police are yeah is there no child protective services yeah what is the CPS of England and what was it like in the 90s that's true were were kids just like hard into their room then it throws into question the entire mindset of Dumbledore really like i you know i know we're focused we're only in book two and a lot of people who are reading these for the first time aren't even considering this but you know as a person who knows the entirety of the story you really have to sit down and you ask yourself after you've just read all of this dark abusive stuff to that's happening to harry you really go what are the pros and cons here like Mm-hmm. Does didn't Dumbledore ever realize that this was going to be the case? Like, even if he didn't realize that in the beginning when he was a baby, I'm sure he has ways of keeping tabs on Harry throughout the summer. Mm-hmm. He's got to at least understand and know what the Dursleys are doing to him yeah. on a consistent basis. Like, well, we know that, that yeah. Mrs. Fig is there for that very reason to keep yeah, tabs so on like, him. Mm-hmm. At what point? do you have to justify to yourself like his life is going to be safe? So he has to stay there. Right. Even though he's going through all of this abuse, because in the end he, he stay he has to stay there because he's the protection spell. Mm-hmm. 
he, it's it's protecting Harry from the dark forces that, you know, because of the the magic uh, that's involved in all that stuff, it's protecting Harry from the dark forces that would touch him. But that's a big butt, though. It's a big butt because <laughs> at this point in time, like Voldemort's been defeated. Like, yeah, he's not completely gone, but how can you really justify leaving a kid there to that much mental abuse and that much physical abuse and emotional abuse because yeah. he'll be safe. Yeah. I mean, like I, later it makes sense, but because Lord Voldemort's back and he can just come in and kill him, but he can't now because he can't touch him. But, but in the beginning, we don't even know all of this and that doesn't make sense to us now. And why, why can't Dumbledore even at least like go to the Dursley's house and be like, dudes, you can't, do this you know like why can't he especially if still some fear in them himself. right especially if like they know vernon and petunia like know that harry has to come back and mm -hmm. of course petunia has more of a more information on this than dumbledore did but or than um vernon did but you know it's understood that they that they are required to do this for harry's life safety and so they know that they have to do what Dumbledore says. And so, I mean, I feel like it wouldn't be that hard for Dumbledore to just step in a little bit and just be like, mm -hmm. hey, you can't torture him. Like we get, you know, Harry needs to build up some resiliency and whatever. You don't have to like like him as much as you like Dudley or whatever, which is still insane. But like, you know, knowing who the Dursleys are, Dumbledore, I don't know, could I... I I feel like there's a lot of times you that honestly really think that you, yeah you honestly do think that now because like you, there's no excuses for him to not have known what was going on because there was Mrs. Mess, there 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 yeah he, I mean, he does a lot of questionable things that. during Harry's years <laughs> a lot really Dumbledore I love you but come on dude you could have done something to make this a little bit easier imagine if he had his own kids. <laughs> It'd be bad. <laughs> Dumbledore should not be a parent. I think he knows that about himself. <laughs> to be honest, he probably does. Instead, just in control of like hundreds of children every year. So right, yeah. <laughs> um. Luckily, <laughs> he's only got one more summer with them before he threatens his convicted murderer godfather <laughs> on them yeah i have a godfather by the way <laughs> and he's a convicted murderer well so um yeah all that abuse and torture and dreaming about being locked up in a cage and then finally he's awoken uh by, by the rattling of bars. Some familiar red-headed friends, right? Arriving. Well, I mean, he's in the middle of his dream and he's he's dreaming that bars are being rattled and like so that's making him go, I'm trying to sleep, I'm trying to sleep. Yeah. But he doesn't realize that his bars are actually being rattled and he wakes up and there's actually people looking at him through the wind like through the bars yeah. in the window and you you just see the face of Ron Weasley. Like just it's his friend, Ronald Weasley. Bam. And it's just like, well, okay, then that's, you know, that's the end of that chapter. 
<laughs> I would love to see like um, Ron, Fred, and George witnessing this and their reactions to him having this dream and like reacting to them yeah. and like trying to wake him up. Yeah. I agree. I want a little bit more context from the the twins and Ron themselves. Like I would totally not object to having the beginning of the second episode, like maybe have the end of the first episode be Ron, like be like how it ends in chapter two, have Ron show up at the window and being like, Hey, Harry, it's me. Like that's the end of the episode. But then I want sees like episode two to come in and go, yeah. Like explore the Weasleys coming to the determination of having to go rescue Harry. Yes. I like, like that idea a lot. Ron and Fred and George are like talking to each other and being like, we haven't heard Harry from all, like from Harry, like all summer. He's not like writing back. He ha- hasn't responded to any of these letters that we've been sending him. Like they just well, come up with the idea and go, we need to go save Harry. Like let's yeah. go f- take this car that our dad just brought home and, had is enchanted to fly and we'll like, we'll get the, we'll go get them ourselves. Yeah. Cause you know that they're all asking, especially Mrs. Weasley and the twins, I feel like are continually asking Ron if he's heard from Harry. And so Ron, you know, they're at the breakfast table or the dinner table or whatever. And Ron's saying that he hasn't heard from them. And then, you know, that after everybody leaves the table, the twins pulled Ron aside and they're like, Let's, oh yeah let's take the car let's go. It's, it, this was definitely the twins's idea for yeah. sure oh yeah. yeah and i'd also love to see like them leaving to go plot and then mr and mrs weasley saying we should go get him like let's wait another week and then let's let's talk to dumbledore or something and go get him ourselves because they bring up later like um we were gonna go get him why'd you take the car blah 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 blah. um so to see that kind of be pulled back later and kind of full circle would be fun to be yeah, like yeah to, to kind of have a good five or ten minutes of the weasley perspective like i would love to see that like mm-hmm. that introduces burrow like a little bit earlier than than the movie did like seeing the movie introduce the burrow the way that it did like was pretty cool but i think like in order to build the world a little bit more and to do something that the movies didn't do, having the Weasley perspective of how they decide to go rescue Harry would be a brilliant way of not breaking away from the material too much, but like adding more into the personalities of Fred, George and Ron. Yes. I like the idea of having like, this is the Weasley episode and you're introduced to them and it's just life at the burrow you know, day-to-day life at the borough and everybody getting progressively more and more worried about Harry as the days go by. Again, not not the whole episode, but like five minutes in the beginning and then we go get him and then we go back to the borough. Um, but just like Molly and like getting the gnomes and like just life, the tr- um, not the troll in the attic, but whatever we the find ghoul. out is in the oh. attic. The ghoul in the attic and just things like life in the burrow, introduce the Weasleys, and then we cut and take the car to go get Harry. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. Well, and they don't even have to if, you know, I th- okay, so I think obviously Max is going to take our idea and roll with it. So they don't even have to show a lot of the burrow before they go get Harry. Like if we want to have a bigger introduction, um after they bring Harry back because they can just show just the kitchen table or the living room or whatever. And, um, 
or even out in out in the field or something like that where it's yes. not showing the whole magic of the place yet and just like those conversations happening like Arthur and Molly being like okay mm-hmm. we're gonna wait another week and then the twins convincing Ron that they should just go get him like they can have those conversations without giving away too much of the burrow if they want to have that big reveal when Harry gets there so that we have the same perspective as Harry of seeing it for the first time. So yeah, I'm could- kind of torn yeah. because I, I get what you're saying because we want it like Harry's perspective and the contrast from him going from the Dursleys to the burrow. Mm-hmm. But I kind of also like the contrast of besides Dobby, no magic in the first episode mm-hmm. and being caged yeah. And then having this just dreary and dreamy first episode and then into this bright and magical opening to the second and the contrast between that. So it's hard. It'll be interesting to see what, what they're doing. Yeah. yeah. So here's how, I, how I'm envisioning it a little bit. I envision. Should we save all of this for the actual? No, we got a whole book to. We have 18 weeks. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Okay. Sorry. No, that, ahead, that's not happening, Meeks. So. <laughs> Uh, um, so how I from we're trying to <laughs> keep us in line. Five is excessive. I'm trying to keep your points. The Ravenclaw and the Hufflepuff in line, and I get the points. <laughs> Take it away. No, 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 no. Five keep is excessive, Sarah Day. How dare you? It was a joke. Okay, so <laughs> so. How I'm envisioning is that the episode begins with like just it's the black screen, but then like the the sun is rising and you are kind of in the countryside and like you see like just countryside England and maybe it gives us a couple of different scenes of like what countryside England is. Maybe a a chicken cockadoodling and whatever, but then like you're you're going up this road the camera's going up this road and then up the like it goes up to the top of the hill and as the hill approaches you see the burrow and you can definitely tell it's the burrow and like it's just no mistaking it's really unique and and all that stuff with design and and we go in to see sleeping children in beds and you have like ron snoring like super loudly or stuff like you just see the the basics of it and then, like we ha- we hear Mrs. Weasley calling everybody up to breakfast, and everybody's like getting up from their bed, and we see just the morning routine of the Weasleys, and everybody's sitting down at the table because it's just a complete contrast of what we just left Harry into, and we're, we're with the unanswered question of like, why is Ron outside Harry's window? So it's a really great just like little cliffhanger to leave off of, but then we just start off in this random place, nobody knows what it is. Yep. Nobody knows it's the burrow, but we see Ron. We recognize Ron. We recognize the twins. We recognize Mrs. Weasley even. So we we gather where in the Weasley's home. Don't know what it's called. Don't know what's going on. It's just breakfast at the Weasley table. They start having a conversation. Mrs. Weasley brings up, Ron, have you heard from Harry at all? Uh, and um ron goes no i haven't and like they have that little uh, awkward discussion of oh i hope he's okay uh but they continue on their day mr weasley's getting on about ready to go to uh go to work but mrs weasley holds him aside and says hey i'm worried about harry like i think we should be go i think we should go get him uh and then mr weasley throws out a line i'm really busy at work maybe we can do this on the weekend 
like let's discuss this a little bit more on Saturday because right now I don't have time to think about this and to to indicate that he's got a lot of raids going on and all that stuff. Um, and so that leaves it on that. But then Fred and George come in and, and sit next to Ron and go, "We've been thinking, Ronald," and say to themselves, like say to Ron's, like we we need to go get Harry because obviously something's not right. This isn't this isn't like him and all that stuff. We need to go see what's going on. I hear dad has uh, has put in a new thing in the car that makes it fly. And they kind of come up with a whole plan with Ron and Ron's like, well, when are we going to do this? Fred and George look at it, look at them. Like, Let's just go tonight. And so they all go to bed. It's nighttime. Mm-hmm. Like we don't, we don't need to see anything else about the day. We don't need to give anything else about uh, away about the borough. It's just, it's now nighttime. Everybody's sleeping. Ron and Fred and George hop up out of their beds, get into the car, start it drive out down the road and fly off into the air. Uh, maybe we get to see the reactions as they're flying the car. I don't know, but they fly into the thing. We're seeing the Valley underneath. Like it's this whole little epic little few two minute thing where they're flying through the Valley of, of the United Kingdom and they get to Harry's house. They're rattling on the cages. Boom. We've caught up with the, the story of Harry's end. Five, ten. Okay, minutes. there's one thing. Yeah. No, okay, I love it. I do. I love it. And the only okay, there's two things. One thing I would add in the beginning where it's like the countryside and you're seeing just the nice sunrise, just slowly start adding in something magical. Like maybe it's like the gnomes, and that's then when we see the burrow. Um, just some sort of like, wait, what was that? Was yeah. what was that thing? Okay. I would like an explanation. During this scene, this incredible scene you just created for them, on how they knew how to get there. Oh yes, that, that would have been. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that, but that would be a very good idea to figure out. I don't know. You mean how they knew how to fly there? Yeah. No, how, where? How do they know where Harry lives? Oh, oh, oh! Yes. Well, yeah. Because I guess they, when they send stuff, they don't necessarily need an address because the owl just knows. Yes, correct. Because owls are. Did they have Errol with them and they're just like following Errol? (laughs) They tie a letter to Errol's leg and says, go deliver it to Harry and they just start flying. (laughs) That's it. That's my, I'm fine. That's my explanation. They're following Errol the whole time. They're like, watch out, Errol! (laughs) (laughs) Errol's about to hit an airplane or something. All right. Any final thoughts or do we have a Meigs lightning round? No, the only other thing um, that I thought of um, was the letter for the hover charm comes so fast. Like, you guys are so fast. Yep. And I just feel like that it's just very fast. And so I feel like, well, that's adorable because the magic is so strong. But then also, like, how do they know so fast? And then it also makes me think, like, how does Dumbledore not step in when Harry's being caged like a zoo animal <laughs> when a hover charm gets used by a house elf and immediately, think, like, like, where is that? Are the owls stationed around? Like how, but how do they have the letters? Like how does the owl have the letter? You know what I mean? Like did the owl apparate 
because how can the owl fly that fast from where right. the Ministry of Magic is all the way to Privet Drive? And I would imagine it goes that fast wherever one of the students are. So maybe they can have it come through the chimney instead, like for, through the fireplace. The I don't owl. know. Yeah, like they sent the owl through. There's flu powder. Well, or they can. Just- you can't have flu powder connected to uh, any random house. It has to be actually like they must have go like- through a bunch of stuff to get connected to a house in order That's to be true. able to use. That's true. You're right. I guess if they so- were to do something like that, though, it's more like they would have like portals set up, kind of like bus stops, where it's like in certain spots where like they could send the owl to this location that's closest to where that house would be. Yeah. 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 Um, so they could just cut, you know, they could have Vernon say like, he's so angry. He can't even speak. And he's just go to your room. And then, um, it takes away from what we were talking about, about how the letter is what, gives him that power but he can lock him in this room and then the letter comes hours or the next day and then that's when he comes in chuckling and he's like you can't even use well, magic and then that's when he puts the bars on it can't be the next day because the owl swoops in on mrs mason's head oh crap and yeah, scares the crap out of her true. so i think even though that it's fast i really think that maybe they're Maybe they're closer to London than we realize. I don't know how. I think the place that they're they're located in is Sully. I don't oh, know if Sully and London, Surrey. I think it's Surrey. Sorry, not Sully. Um, I don't think Surrey and London are that far apart because they do make references to driving to London. The so charm happened, and then it was like within minutes there was no, a letter. It wasn't. Wasn't it? Didn't he do the nope. hover? Salvaged it. They salvaged the dinner they first. That they sal- They said that they were all. They almost explained away Harry's like moment oh, okay. of well, disturbedness, I mean, still, and they were about, was- and they were about to like close the deal again, and then all of a sudden, uh, an owl comes in and s- leaves a letter on top of Mrs. Mason's head, and she goes and freaks out. Um, Surrey is an. So Surrey is 58 minutes from London. Okay. So because there, there's probably like this really special random thing in the Ministry of Magic that lets them know when underage magic is used, they probably react really quickly. And because they're magical owls, I can be okay with the fact that maybe they take like 20 minutes to fly from London to Surrey to deliver this letter. So it, it the, so it, essentially there has to be like a 20 minute gap from them trying to calm this all down, clean up Mrs. Mason, salvage the situation, have Harry like be in his room or in the kitchen uh, away from the situation, but like still there so that Mr. Dursley can go and talk to him later. And then have like the whole letter debacle happen kind of scenario. So just relatively closeness of it all. I think it's a little bit believable with how much time has passed, but without actually knowing how much time passed, I I see where we can kind of get mixed up on. I'm even fine with it being an hour, to be honest. We don't have to see that, of course. But they talk about how she takes the ice cream out of the fridge and they serve ice cream instead. 
Um, there's probably they have she has to clean up. I'm sure maybe Petunia goes and gets her an outfit. Um, so I can see all of that, like the salvaging part. I can see taking an hour. Um, and yeah, you're probably. I mean, and they're flying out. Like flying yeah. is faster than driving. I don't know if I can change the Google directions to fly. <laughs> <laughs> probably not. So you're right. Probably 20 minutes to half an hour is probably how long an owl takes to get from to... London to Surrey. And don't forget, it's a magic owl. So, you know, anything mm-hmm. can happen at this point. But that definitely is a thing that should be addressed for sure because, like, Having it instantly appear does not make sense. Reaction time wise, it doesn't make sense. We need a mini series on the Ministry Owls, or just the owls of the Wizarding World in general, or just like, yeah, the Ministry. A series of just the happenings at the Ministry. I'm sure there's yeah. lots of fascinating, oh yeah, things that go Definitely. on there. We got to know all. Well, cool. Are we ending this off with our peeveses? We can do that now unless there's anything else you guys want to talk about. I'm good. Okay, James, kick us off with your peeves pleasure. My peeves pleasure is that additional scene that they added with the Dursleys saying, explaining away Dobby and Harry with... Um, uh, I, that they 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 have a cat upstairs. I really think that was a really good addition. Um, I'm real. I'm when it comes to taking source material and turning into a different adaptation and stuff. I'm always a big fan of adding things if it makes sense, and that definitely was something that was added that made sense and was definitely worth it overall. Because seeing the perspective of the Dursleys reacting to what's going on in Harry's bedroom. I think was a brilliant streak of genius uh, on the director and the writer's part. So um, I definitely want more of that in the show. And I think that overall with, with what's happened, uh, that was definitely one of my, my favorite parts was just having that happen and being like, Oh yes, that's what I want. I, um, my pleasure was the Dobby adaptation in general. I thought that it was, um, it was just great i think the cgi was good the acting was good the voice was good like you know we already went over that in more detail but i just think it was it was a fantastic adaptation i'm really really pleased with it continuing on the Dobby topic i love that the um my my pleasure was that when harry walks into the room dobby is jumping on the bed and just having such a good time and I think that really reiterates how terrible of a life he has at Malfoy Manor and that he can just find so much joy jumping on the bed. That's such a good point and really sad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Peace, peace. Okay. What did I not like about the adaptation? Well, um, I don't know. Like, this is just one of those things where I didn't have a lot of complaints. Um, because I feel like what the book was it like reiterating to what the movie was reiterating was like done really well. 
um, as an adaptation, like it cut the things that it needed to cut, but it um, kept the things that it needed to kept, keep. Um, so overall, like, I don't have a problem with it. And if I tried finding something, I don't think I really could. Um, I, at this point, I, fe- I would feel nitpicky myself just thinking if there was something that was wrong with it. I would be I would feel personally like I was nitpicking something and I, overall I don't like doing that so um well I have a peeve um <laughs> I didn't like me too <laughs> I uh di- I just didn't like the dinner adaptation that I thought it was too calm and weird um compared to what the book had um and we already we already kind of talked about it but yeah I just um <laughs> I just feel like they had so much more that they could have played off of and they did they just decided not to my peeves is about dobby uh but it's the fact that he pulls the letters like out from behind him i guess supposedly like out of a pocket or something although it's a pillowcase so i don't know where they came from and i'm like why didn't you just have him snap like he snaps to move the cake why can't he snap to make the letters appear as opposed to just pulling them out from nowhere maybe he snaps behind his back i don't know it just didn't look great mm, interesting. i do agree with that i i did think that, that was strange yeah i could see that but moving on yeah. to our weasley salute speaking of the weasleys <laughs> <laughs> so uh i'm gonna have a special guest come in and say my weasley salute <clears throat> oh ho Dobby would like to come on and say that he's very grateful to have a position here at Mr. Beltran's residence to be able to share at this brilliant podcast. Dobby would definitely love to say that his favorite part in all of it was Dobby. Yeah. (laughs) Not to toot my own horn or anything, but I think I was brilliant in the entire chapter. And show. Thank you. So, thanks for visiting us, Dobby. Good job, Dobby. <laughs> we love you. Dobby, Dobby. Dobby was my favorite part overall. I think he's a really great, well-rounded character, written, and he was done a really like he did a really good job of. Uh, they did a really good job of creating him in the movie. I really don't think that there would be anything else really to salute except that it's just he works well in the movie he works well in the book and i really enjoy the idea of being able to get more of him as we get these tv shows going and like seeing him develop in the next coming books that are coming up having him show up again and again and again as like a recurring character is just Mm-hmm. Uh, gets me excited and i think that that is probably one of my best things and dobby so happens to be one of the first voices i ever got to do so that's why i did that oh i say three points to ravenclaw for dobby's voice yep i'm fine with that agreed and uh meeks what was your weasley's salute of the chapter dan's acting in this scene i thought he did such a good job yeah he did and especially considering that he was looking at nothing yeah yeah i thought he did fantastic 
I believe when I was watching the making of these films back in the day, there was just like a stick with a tennis ball. Yeah. At the end of it, he was looking at it. So to act so convincingly that you're talking to Dobby and like, uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, he was, well, he he was 12 or 13. Yeah, it was a little ahead of them when they came out, but he they had to be filming it for a while. So that's a Mm -hmm. very young age to be acting that well. Hmm. I agree. Um. Well, my salute is Dobby's design. <laughs> I thought that they did such a great job. Everything his his CGI, um, his voice acting, everything was really great. So hats off to Toby Jones and the uh, graphic designers. Hmm. Well, thank you, listeners, for causing havoc with us today. Next time, we'll be discussing Chapter 3, The Burrow. This is about 9 minutes to just over 14 minutes. 14 minutes and 8 seconds. James, where can our listeners find you? They can find me at James M. Biltran on Instagram or TikTok. uh, And follow me there, too. Kind of see what I do over there. Which isn't much right now, but at the same time, I'm trying to grow it. So we'll we'll see what happens. So go follow him. So he's forced to create more content. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. What am I going to do? And you can find me uh, mainly on Instagram at Megan underscore Lachowski, M-E-G-A-N underscore L-A-C-H-O-W-S-K-I. And then from there, you can find all my other projects. And you can find me, Sarah Day, on Instagram at captain.mcd, that's M-C-D-E-E. And just like Meigs, you can find my other projects um, listed there as well. And I may have some Harry Potter-themed earrings on my business, so go check that out. Um, You can follow the podcast on Instagram and TikTok at Gabfest. Icklefirsties, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and leave a five-star review, please. If you're as mischievous as we are, please consider joining our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash If you have any feedback for us, please leave us a voicemail. We'd love to hear ya at 409-422-3378. That's 409-GABFEST. Or you can email us at peevesisgabfest at gmail.com. Also, please come join the discussion in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash peevesisgabfest. Until next time, Michael Firsties. Dobby loves you. <laughs> <laughs>